Paratruth Radio is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts on KillerPodcast.com. Christian and non-Christian paranormal investigators. They have two different views, and it seems as if neither of them can ever agree on anything. So what happens when a mainstream view of the paranormal crosses paths with the Christian view? <laughs> Something What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. My name is Justin. And I'm Eric. And tonight we've got another amazing episode for you. Um, something that I brought up to Eric because I had a conversation with somebody about this. So it kind of intrigued me. Um, a lot of people who have used DMT, um, also known as uh, dimethylterephthalate, I guess that's why they call it DMT, um, have described having very similar or the same uh, hallucinations. And it has to do with hallucinations about beings. So, Eric, when I was first bringing this up to you, kind of what were your thir- first thoughts? Uh, I mean, it was I was more so uh, curious as to the connection uh, between because when you had sent me the text message, actually, you, it was hard for me to completely understand what you were saying uh, because you said <laughs> they would people with DMT would see same thing on drug, and I was like. Uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> is DMT the drug or is it a different drug? What are we talking about? Uh, so I had to just jump on and figure, see exactly what DMT was um, and then go from there. And of course, uh, it's not just simply seeing the same things, but it's the same things that have to deal with life and death. Uh, and it's very similar to what people see when they're on LSD and a couple of other uh, psychological drugs uh, or psychedelics. And what's really interesting about it is that a lot of what these people see are also the same claims that people make when they're on uh, the brink of death or who have died and have come back to life. Uh, It's this idea of uh, out of body experiences actually that they tend to notice the most. And it's just this uh, detachment from one's body, one's self. Uh, Some call it the ego detachment. Uh, So it's like you're aware but you're not aware of your physical self, of your own presence, just of everything around you. So, you know, when, it, when I started looking into that, I had to look up more about, obviously, the idea behind meditation and how people, you know, we've heard over the years, people claim that they can induce their own out-of-body experiences uh, and how that connects to both this drug and what could possibly be a chemical within the brain that exists naturally, uh, but doesn't make itself known until one of two times, which is either A, when we're kind of in between sleep and wakefulness, um, or 
when we die or right before we die. Uh, so, you know, with that in mind, doing the research on this became very interesting uh, and actually has raised, of course, more questions than it did answers. Uh, but nonetheless, that's what we're here for. So I guess we'll get into it. All right. Well, yeah, I've I've seen and heard uh, a lot of people say that the body actually produces DMT naturally. Um, nobody knows what gland actually produces it. Some people say the pineal gland, which uh, people in the paranormal community or metaphysical community believe where uh, uh, medium and psychic abilities come from is the uh, pineal gland. But scientists don't really know what the pineal gland is there for. Usually it well, calcifies. Right. And of course, it's, it's again, just theory that DMT is produced, but there's no evidence whatsoever that there's actually DMT within the human body whatsoever. There's no right. indication of the chemicals. It's just an assumption. Right. Yeah. They can't detect it. And a lot of times uh, in the whole near-death experiences, scientists speculate that your body is being flooded with DMT to ease the transition of death. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, people don't cross over when they are near-death experiences. However, um, they they have these experiences nonetheless. So what I came across, uh, you know, I, I a lot of it is kind of the same thing where people would have out-of-body experiences, and this... Uh, interacting with beings can be kind of considered that, I guess, because supposedly these people are crossing over a different plane of existence. Um, but um, I came across th three names. I don't know if you came across the same information at all, but uh, Terrence McKenna, uh, Graham Hancock, and Daniel Pinchbeck. Do the, any of those names ring a bell? Uh, only one of them, and that's because it showed up in my article. One article that okay. I was reading. Okay. So my the article I came across that gave some pretty good information was on Gaia.com. Uh, but, uh, I, you know, I came across a couple scientific explanations as well about uh, people having uh, hallucinations that they would kind of like on marijuana, they would get kind of anxious and stuff like that. Um, have these experiences where they thought they were having a experience with entities. Um, so the, the one story um, that I, I thought was kind of interesting was by Terrence McKenna and he distilled his own DMT uh, 30 to 40 or he had 30 to 40 trips on his undistilled DMT. Um, and the he gave a, a talk in 1994 and painted a picture for his audience about the entities that he, he came across. So these entities, uh, he calls them uh, mechanical elves, which is kind of interesting. And the painting that they show is really weird as well but it's interesting too um but uh when he or machine elves is what he calls them um but uh when he entered this 
what he calls the dome. He came across these entities. Uh, they were happy to see him. They yelled hooray when they saw him. And the interesting thing is, is about 5% of people that have done the DMT, the amount of DMT that he has done, because small amounts will not have as much of an effect as this does, um, have described the same thing, seeing these machine elves. Um, McKenna says they tell him that they're happy he's made it and that he doesn't visit often enough. Uh, he describes the elves not like we might imagine elves, but a squeaking, jeweled, self-dribbling basketballs made of grammar and light. Uh, the DMT entities keep him on task and prevent him from being too awestruck by the wonders he is seeing. Instead, they encourage him to create physical reality through song like they do. So I found that actually kind of interesting. And in all the different articles that I came across, um, there's three different types of entities that I, I saw. So, um, McKenna also described his experiences with DMT as alien, imagining that if aliens exist, they might hide in these experiences. Uh, and we've often speculated that the ET experience isn't necessarily beings from outer space, but interdimensional beings instead. Um, he says that he imagines an ethical extraterrestrial entity perceiving humans as hard-headed rationalists that only open themselves up to mystical experiences by ingesting psychedelic compounds or, as he puts it, getting loaded. Uh, though many find the DMT trip to be too bizarre to attach any profundity to, McKenna found it deeply meaningful. He believed it could be a glimpse into reality after death, a parallel spirit realm existing too far from our own not too far from our own. So what are your thoughts on when when you hear the the machine elves entities? Well, I mean I'm I'm a little curious as to I, I didn't see this picture. So I don't know are, are they like is the artwork like of actual uh, elves that look like machine okay so justin showing me the picture right now guys um interesting so <clears throat> see w originally what I, when, what I would think of when i think machine elves is of course gremlins and that's something that was uh, very popular around world war, world war one world war two uh right. mechanical failures that would happen in airplanes and various other mechanics as well um but what you're showing me is more than that it's more alien-esque or even godlike in a sense right uh, based on the artwork so it's weird that we call them mechanical elves uh unless I mean, obviously in, in folklore, there are various sizes to elves. Uh, we have the typical type of elf that we think of. Uh, you, you can consider your consider them your Keebler elves, these little <laughs> tiny, you know, several inches high to a, a couple feet at most maybe. Uh, but then you have these really tall elves as well that were even considered giants uh, throughout various stories in history. Right. So <clears throat> it's very possible that there are multiple types of elves, just as we believe there are multiple types of extraterrestrials or how there might be multiple types of quote unquote gods and goddesses. Um, 
And so it's very possible that whatever he saw was a uh, a race of elf. And this happens to be a mechanical elf, which might be, again, the picture you showed me, he doesn't look mechanical, uh, but maybe they have some type of special knowledge in mechanics. Uh, you know, maybe there's some type of science or mathematical uh, explanation to their being. I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I, it's really interesting because this is the same type of drug uh, or experience that people have when they see angels uh, before passing on or they see devils right. before passing on. And what's mainly interesting, though, I think about all of this is that when somebody takes DMT or somebody has a near-death experience, regardless of their faith, regardless of their religious, religious practices, uh, regardless of their beliefs, they all tend to have very similar, uh, very similar, was like images that they see are very similar mm, interactions right. with these beings, uh, whatever they may be. And that's what I think is really curious because then you have to question, and I think that's where the big debate comes up between science and anything that's a pseudoscience. Uh, can there be life after death? And whether there is or isn't, is this drug allowing us to see that life after death or is it simply a trick of the mind? Is it manipulating our mind to make us believe? Right, is it just a hallucination like they say? There, right. right. Yeah. Uh, and I guess that's the big question because this type of pseudoscience can't be proved by science. Uh, and so science naturally, there's actually one quote uh, that I thought was really... <laughs> Just kind of made me chuckle a little bit. So in this particular article, which I actually received, uh, read from bbc.co.uk, uh, says that interest in NDEs peaked in 2012 when neurosurgeon Eben Alexander appeared on Oprah. Now, Eben wrote a book called Proof of Heaven, which described a quasi-celestial encounter with millions of butterflies and a vision of his late sister arising from a bout of bacterial meningitis. Now, the bit book went on to sell millions of copies uh, off the back of Eben's claim that, this, or that his experience proved the existence of an afterlife. But Robin Carhart Harris, uh, who designed the psychedelic research group study uh, had said that basically Eden's claim is bullshit, quote unquote, but it's bullshit. It's classic pseudoscience. Uh, and what I made me chuckle about that is that we have these scientists who completely disregard a pseudoscience uh, because they can't prove it. And therefore they think it's complete gibberish and therefore mm. cannot be taken seriously. But I think what we've noticed throughout history is the number of accounts that seemingly rack up that are very, very similar uh, from way back from ancient times of people having their death experiences or seeing angels or gods or aliens or whatever. Uh, right. These are all things that have not been proven scientifically for millennia, if not longer or maybe a little shorter. Uh, and yet all these claims are consistent from one person to the next. So you, when it comes to science, you know, the thing is you have to look at the evidence. And if more than one source is telling you the same thing, well, you have to come to a conclusion that maybe that source or this thing must be real, at least in some sense. Uh, so I thought it was really funny, but it's, it's just interesting to me that scientists or some scientists 
are so quick to shut down a theory or an idea just because they themselves have yet to been able to prove it. Right. Well, and as you and Kat so candidly said to me the other day, uh, science is nothing but theory. So even mm -hmm. considering the theory, the theory that this is even possible, like, so you're just going to excuse that it's, it's not possible because you don't believe in the theory. Right. Well, and I think the thing about, uh, you know, the thing about scientists is that you, you're supposed to deal in facts and if the facts aren't there, then there's nothing you can do. And the one thing that I think a scientist, uh, anyway, and it doesn't have to be like a a scientist, someone who has a who's a professional scientist. This could be anybody who's a scientist. You know, you and I are scientists. Mm. Uh, any ghost investigator out there is a scientist. Um, pretty much, if you're doing research, you're a scientist of sorts, right? Mm. And the one thing that no scientist can stand is when you have to go to bed without answers. Because your mind is keep going keeps going over this topic, this idea, over and over and over and over and over again, and without any relief, and that relief only being the answer. Without it around, you have no, you know, you only have one choice, and that's either to give up on it or keep doing the research for however many years and years and years it might take uh, to finally find an answer. Some scientists just aren't willing to do that. So they'd rather discredit it entirely so that they feel better about themselves, in my personal opinion, as opposed to uh, giving some sort of credibility to somebody who has no scientific evidence. Right. Well, the one thing that I found fascinating about this uh, McKenna's description is it, it kind of reminded me of the descriptions of angels in the Bible. And uh, just because the way he describes them squeaking jeweled self dribbling basketballs made of grammar and light. And to me, and I'm sure a lot of people that would look very terrifying, much like what these angels were described as in the Bible. Right. So in a sense, you know, we, we have this idea of, of angels as humans with wings basically, but Again, like we're saying, we can't really prove it, but is this guy seeing angels in their true forms or a type of angels in their true forms? Right. And, you know, it's it's hard to say, you know, because, I mean, even within scripture, we, we've seen where uh, angels appear to people in their true forms and those people often are actually all the time in, in the stories, right. uh, they always fall to their, to their face in fear, high war in worship and all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, and of course the angels, mind you, I mentioned worship there uh, in the Bible, there's no angel that takes worship from anyone aside from Lucifer, uh, you know, the devil, uh, but any other angel say, for example, uh, whether it be Michael or Gabriel, you know, someone, one of the, the, uh, characters within the Bible would raw, would fall and try to worship him. He'd say, no, 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 no. You don't worship me. You worship only the Father in heaven. You worship only God. Uh, and that's something that's very important uh, just to, to keep in mind because God is the only one worshiped in the Bible uh, or right. is supposed to be. Uh, but anyway, what we see, though, is that many times these angels will appear as a man or as a person as a woman as a animal even on some occasions uh they always 
show themselves as something that is either relatable to the person that they're appearing to uh, and something that will give the person some sort of ease in mind. Uh, even Jesus did this after, uh, after his death, after his resurrection. Uh, he came back and appeared not only as himself, but he appeared as other uh, individuals as well just random people uh, that none of the disciples uh, had even known, but they would see him, talk to him, have a full-on conversation for miles <laughs> walking next to him. And only at the very end before they split ways would they realize, oh my gosh, that's Jesus. I see him now. And there, there is a reason for that, you know, uh, not to throw them off or anything, but to kind of see what they're thinking, where their mind is at after Jesus's death. Uh, so it's very possible that this particular person, whatever he saw, uh, could have just been a, a representation for him personally. And it may not be the true oh, form yeah. of whatever angelic being or whatever it is uh, that he was seeing. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense, too, uh, because they would take whatever form wouldn't scare us or whatever. So Right. All right, so Graham Hancock, uh, he talks about ayahuasca, um, and ayahuasca has DMT in it. So uh, he usually suffered from chronic migraines all of his life, um, and he would smoke marijuana for that. And so he also started participating in these ayahuasca shamanic ceremonies. And the entity that he would often um, encounter is a entity that he calls Mother Ayahuasca. Uh, he doesn't really give too much of a description about her, um, but he does say that uh, he stopped using marijuana, uh, explaining that it felt as if a... Uh, when he stopped using marijuana, it felt like it was a monkey lifted off his back. And it was this entity, Mother Ayahuasca, that told him, you need to stop this, and showed him his life if he continued down the path of what he was doing. Now, the interesting thing about this is she doesn't describe what his life would have been like if he continues to use ayahuasca, <laughs> just the marijuana. But... uh Hancock also points out that there are other entities in the DMT realm that don't have our best interests in mind. He mentions negative entities that want to hoodwink us, much like an uh, archetypal demon. He says he might many uh, he met many of these entities when he was shown his death, describing them like something out of Hieronymus Bosch, a Hieronymus Bosch painting. Uh, but he does say that uh, ayahuasca mother, uh, that the ayahuasca mother was an, an endearing entity. Um, some of the forms that she would take would be uh, most common was a snake, and uh, he, he goes on to say that you know the snake has appeared in many different cultures in the world, uh, in mythology, uh, you know, the Garden Eden, Quetzalcoatl in Mayan culture, uh, Candelini life force, and so many others. So he, he describes that uh, she also will come through as a jaguar as well. So it, th that's kind of interesting because uh, the ayahuasca uh, shamanic rituals are usually Native American in origin. So I'm not sure if he's Native American. I didn't do research on his ethnicity, but uh, 
it is interesting that he has these different uh, interactions with a what he calls mother, and a, a lot of uh, Native American tribes would worship a entity. They would just call it the Great One. Uh, a lot of different other names, uh, but Mother Earth is one that they would mention a lot. So it's interesting that he had those experiences. Um, and to to talk about that and that he also comes across negative entities where uh, McKenna only described the positive entities that he comes across. Um, you know, some of my first thoughts are maybe it just depends on how you're brought up and these interactions with entities, but um, that was the first that the first that I saw that says there are two types that you will encounter. Um, not a neutral type, just good and bad. Okay. So what are your thoughts on that? So, so what you're saying is they, no one seems to encounter a, a, a neutral. So you're only encountering either a good being or a bad being is what you're saying. Pretty much. Yeah. I find that really interesting because, um, a lot of this goes into psychology a bit, you know, now, now let's take a right. step back away from the idea of, of, uh, religion and faith. Uh, let's go into psychology here because in psychology, you consider that there's really only two sides to a coin in life, there's the good and there's the bad, and there's nothing really in between. Uh, if you're in between, then you're not really doing anything for society, right? Um, you're, you're just, is it complacent? Is that the word I'm thinking of? Is the right word maybe? Um, um, yeah, I, well, I mean, complacent would be, yeah, you're not doing anything to, to be outstanding or anything. You're not doing anything on either side of the spectrum, you're in that gray area as so many people don't believe in. Right. And so, you know, it's, you ask anybody, and I'm pretty sure at least uh, that you ask anyone you come across, whether they believe they're a good person or a bad person, and you're only going to get one of two answers. And most of the time it's going to be that they believe they're a good person. Uh, occasionally you might get someone who claims or believes that they're a bad person but you're never going to hear someone who says, well, I'm both, you know, I I'm right in the right. middle. I'm perfect. You know, it, it's very rare that you would get that, which I mean, in all reality, we are all actually in the middle. We're all good and bad. Uh, we're going to do good things. We're going to do bad things. You know, the good, right. obviously maybe you give to charity or maybe you help that person with their, with, with their groceries or something like that. Right. Uh, the bad is you gossip about somebody behind their back. Uh, we've all done it. Uh, maybe, you know, who knows what it could be anything. Um, right. And so what I think is interesting though, is that most people have this idea of good and bad. We grew up on it. Uh, we grew up on, Hey, these are the things that you should do to be a good person. These are the things you shouldn't do it, you know, so that you're not a bad person. And so subconsciously, even every day, we're thinking what's good and what's bad. I mean, many of us will, will feel convicted if we go out of our way accidentally, if we're in a bad mood, to say something we shouldn't have said to a family member, a friend, a complete stranger, right? Uh, and the fact that we're convicted by that uh, isn't a religious thing. It's, it's a moral thing. And humans have morals. Right. 
So the fact that we only see good or people only see good or bad, I think is really dependent on their view uh, on life and perhaps even more so their view on themselves. Uh, there are a lot of people I think that'll say they're good on the outside and tell people they're good, but internally they're struggling and they believe themselves to be bad. I know several people who are like that. Uh, you know, you struggle, people who struggle with depression, you know, often think of themselves as being bad. Uh, not necessarily bad as in you're an evil person per se, but maybe you weren't created good. You know, you're not perfect. You're not what people like or who people like, you know, and that's, that's really sad because that's very, very, very rarely the case. Uh, and I'm sure that's probably has a lot to do with uh, what people are seeing when they're on these drugs uh, or sipping these teas or whatever it is that they're doing or taking. Cause I know DMT can either be uh Actually, it can actually be injected, snorted. Uh, you could drink it. Uh, I think you can even consume it just as an edible as well. Um, so, oh, and, and you can use it as a vape, as a vapor. Uh, so you can just kind of breathe it in that way as a smoke kind of. Yeah, well, an ayahuasca usually is made with as a tea. So okay, yeah. that kind of makes sense then. Um, the, the other thing about this drug, uh, not that I'm saying go ahead and go do DMT, but the compared to like LSD or, uh, some of the other hallucinogenics mushrooms, uh, this only, this only lasts like 15 minutes to an hour, depending on the person and their tolerance. So they call it the businessman's drug. But only it because... also, sorry to cut you off. Um, no. But it also depends on the form you're taking and what other medications you might be on or whether right. or not you consumed with alcohol. Because right. uh, if you actually take it as a tea, it can last upwards of five to six hours in some cases. Uh, and the other issue is that there's a lot of side effects to DMT. And these side effects include uh, not only nausea and vomiting, but disorientation, dizziness, uh, loss of muscle control, uh, you know, things that are just really bad, you know, for you to have, especially if you're like driving down the road, right? Lose muscle right. control. I mean, that, that's an issue. Um, uh, the other thing, just going to mention real quick here, because obviously, you, like you said, neither of us condone doing DMT to experience <laughs> and enjoy whatever, uh, but DMT is highly illegal, okay? Right. Um, and, and I mean highly, because it's even though some cities, cities, uh, they have legalized DMT to some extent, um, at least in terms of use of medical purposes, it is actually illegal by state and country. So unless you're in that specific city on DMT, uh, for whatever the special, the specific legal purpose would be, uh, you could be fined, arrested, etc. Anywhere else, uh, so that's one thing to to consider. Because you think it's something like marijuana that was, you know, illegal pretty much everywhere for a while, is now legalized right. in states, not just cities, but states. Right. And DMT is still all still very much illegal in states and countries. So, right, yeah, I. I... And to be honest, I don't know if I would ever want to take a drug that makes me see the things that people have described on LSD, you, mushrooms, yeah, anything. I know. I tell you what, like, I think by myself, I'd be too scared to do it. But because I was thinking about this as I was reading it, because I was like, this is, this is kind of interesting. 
And I wouldn't mind experiencing this thing to see what it's really about. But I would consider doing it under medical supervision at a hospital where they induce it and keep an eye on because you can die from this, from DMT easily as well. You know, this isn't something that's just, you know, it's not like marijuana. This is much more deadly, much more dangerous. So if it's something like that for, we'll call it scientific purposes, maybe I'd be like, Hey, okay. I mean, if you guys are going to watch over me. Right. In the name of science. Right. Yeah. I can't even, I never smoked marijuana. Just no, I couldn't. I'm too scared. I'll be honest. I just, plus I don't want to be like those, but I've worked, <laughs> I've worked with people who smoke marijuana regularly. Not that it's a bad thing. Anyone, you know, get you through whatever, but I would not want to be like any of them. I mean, they were just obnoxious right. when they were, high well, I couldn't stand it. It's just like alcohol though. People True. want to say that marijuana isn't an addiction. If you're using it every day or you have to use it every day for something other than medical purposes, then that's an addiction. And nobody wants to to see that. I I will say it's less addictive and the uh uh detox from it is not as extreme as like alcohol or other drugs. But it it still has that addiction if you're using it every day. Right. Um, well, it, it, and you're right, especially by saying if you're using it every day. And now, of course, there's a difference because if you have a beer every day or you have a nightcap every day, we're talking about a single drink, you're not right. going to get the effects of the alcohol. And therefore, you're not going to have the side effects of not having alcohol any of those days. Uh, we're talking right. about purposely allowing yourself to get to a high point uh, whether that's drinking multiple shots right, of whiskey right. or bottles of beer or whatever to get you drunk and feeling that, that, um, oh, that almost that easiness, I guess that ease that it kind of puts you in, you know, like I struggle with that. I'm not going to lie. You know, I mean, alcoholism runs in our family, uh, mm-hmm. mine and Justin's family, you know, so on both sides for me, on both, on both sides. So, you know, it's like we, and we drink, we're very, cautious and smart about how we drink but there are those occasions where you have a rough day and you look at a bottle and you're like you drink one and then you think oh i could drink more of that you know (laughs) and it's tempting uh and sometimes you drink a little more than you should but yeah you know it's always having that understanding of what that kind of road you know goes down and like for someone like me and justin uh, who know, who, you know, who have family members who are alcoholics uh, and we grew up with it, seeing it. I think that kind of helps put us like puts things into perspective for us and how we don't want our lives to be uh, or turn out because there's really nothing positive about it. So I, that's one thing not to make this, you know, a whole different thing. This isn't like coming on. Let's talk <laughs> about your addictions, folks. Uh, just call us up at blah, 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 blah. But which, by the way, of course, if you're addicted to anything, there are hotlines out there. But, hey, um, but you know, it's it's one of those things that you just have to be cautious about. Right. Well, yeah. Ad- addictive personality or the addictive gene is a real thing. So, um, all right. So to go on to the last guy that I came across, uh, Daniel Pinchbeck. Uh, he actually wrote a book called Breaking Open the Head. 
Um, and he describes meeting negative autonomous entities that continue to haunt him for weeks after his trip is over. Um, similar to some accounts of DMT entities, Pinchback said that the beings he encountered expressed disdain or pity for his presence as a mere human. Uh, others have said that they experience different from DMT entities or messages saying, okay, you've seen it now leave. Uh, Pinchback actually describes a world, a terrifying world of gothic insects, lizards, and winged creatures, descri- describing it as a postmodern demonic MTV psychedelic. Uh, he realized in retrospect that taking a drug of that magnitude without the shamanic ceremonial aspect was disrespectful and maybe a factor in his frightening experience. In the weeks following, Pinchback had strange synchronicities, bizarre dreams, and what he describes as polter-like activity in his apartment. Uh, Mirrors fell off the wall in the middle of the night, strange foreign bugs appeared, and usually physical sensations plagued him. He confirmed the presence of negative energy with others and held an exorcism to rid himself of them. In the end, a Buddhist meditation helped purge him of the demon, bringing his life back to normal. To Pinchbeck, the entities met on this DMT analog couldn't have been more real or more autonomous. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. That's very interesting. Yeah, so the I think the most interesting thing about this is we have a guy who experiences nothing but positive entities. We have a guy who experiences both. And then we have a guy that experiences only what he describes as demonic entities. But what's interesting about it is that these like in this case, in the story that you just read is that he's experiencing things. Uh, I mean, he's experiencing these things outside of sleep and stuff like that. Right. So now, of course, that brings up so many more questions, which I, you know, I said at the beginning (laughs) of the show, the more I read into this, the more questions I had. Right. Uh, Because in the studies, you would think that this is all psychological. This is all mental um, and has nothing to do outside of, the realm that we live in. But when you experience something uh, like the type of experiences you would have on DMT or a near-death experiences, and then these things follow you back and start to plague you in your waking time while you're clean uh, from the drug, well, now that's a very interesting thing to happen. And you have the question is, or the question is, does the drug, if you're on it, does it lead your mind to cross over into another realm or dimension or does it just open your mind up to the possibilities of other realms and dimensions and therefore opening these as Justin and I have 
talked about many times over the years, probably hundreds, if not thousands of times, is opening that door uh, that right. maybe wasn't open prop, uh, previously. Uh, could that be something that DMT has the ability to do? Not just right. mess with our minds and confuse it or create these illusions, but to actually open it up to the possibilities uh, of what's beyond our known realm and possibly bring those things back with us. Yeah, like using a Ouija board. Yeah. Yeah. So is there anything that you came across that I haven't mentioned or or that is different than what I came across? Uh, Not really. Like the majority of the things here uh, that I really can't, that I really like focused my time on was the idea of this out-of-body experience and how meditation, um, you know, through meditation, you can have a similar experience of out-of-body. Right. And the one question that I had brought up was, or to myself anyway, was whether or not, uh, again, DMT exists, or at least a chemical similar to it exists within the brain already, and whether or not we can access that chemical via meditation. Um, and obviously there's a lot of, a lot of study that would have to go into that uh, to find out whether or not there is, but the, since we don't even have any proof that the chemical exists in the first place within our minds, it's going to be hard to do. But with that said, with all these psychics, uh, mediums and, and the like who are meditating and having these uh, quote unquote out-of-body experiences and running through the realms and visiting other, other lands and future projection. Right, astral projection, stuff like that. Um, are they really experiencing these things, or is it all just a chemical uh, a imbalance? Trip. We'll say, uh, <laughs> yeah, like it, it. It's like I'm serious. So it's funny. It is kind of funny, but it's true. Like meditation no, I, I, has it makes sense what you're saying to cause a lot of to not cause, but uh, provide a lot of good things for the body, right? I mean, meditation can help you clear the mind. Uh, it can help right. clear up illnesses and things like that. When you think about like, look at uh, my time, uh, our time even of coming back to this idea uh, of faith, you know, coming back to right. faith, uh, you and I sitting outside in the rain in the middle of a cold September night, uh, you know, <laughs> taking these. I, I believe sins we were barefoot ours. as well. <laughs> barefoot and in shorts and in a t-shirt it was freezing <laughs> we're underneath a tree in the backyard and then in the front yard for some reason um but yeah you know it, we had this belief of uh that we used you know right we we had we did a meditation previously beforehand and then we went outside and we uh allowed ourselves to wash away this black icky sin or negative stuff within our lives uh, to let it bury itself into the ground and then ask for this white light, right. To, to fill us. And, uh, you know, I think we both came away with something extraordinary that night, mm -hmm. uh, a, a new realization and understanding uh, of life and what's beyond it even, but could that be, and don't get me wrong because I truly believe there's something spiritual that happened that night, at least for me. Uh, but, could it be that that type of meditation and that type of mindset could create or manifest things uh, that aren't necessarily real? Could it just be a chemical that's being produced uh, that you're producing unknowingly and unwillingly uh, that makes you believe that something's happening when something isn't? Uh, you know, right. like 
who knows? We don't know the answer to that. But I think based on some of this research with DMT, it's very possible if the chemical already exists within our minds. Uh, and there are right. chemicals within us that you know, are natural. Think of creatine, for example. It's a supplement that I've been on and off for years. Uh, creatine is basically a, a chemical that helps to uh, absorb water into the muscle tissue and build strength within the muscle. It helps repair muscle tissue, basically, as well as bone. Uh, and it helps with uh, various mental disorders, uh, depression, uh, things like that. It can help with, uh, you know, it's, it's a very safe chemical, it's a powder form usually, uh, that is also naturally produced in our own bodies, uh, but is also naturally produced through in, in animals as well. In fact, the majority of creatine that you get comes from beef and fish. So these are chemicals that actually produce a certain um, importance, it's an important need for the body uh, to regenerate muscle tissue and be stronger and stay healthy. Uh, and actually one thing, now that we're on the subject here, actually, <laughs> quick side note here, Justin, uh, you know, being that you're vegan, for example, uh, or vegetarians, you know, these are people who actually have creatine naturally within the body, but don't get creatine through natural resources because mm -hmm. they're not eating meat. They're eating plants. The plants don't contain creatine. And so a creatine supplement is usually one of those things that are highly recommended by doctors and physicians uh, that can help increase your metabolism, make you a little stronger, uh, overall make you feel better than what you would typically feel just on the leafy stuff alone. Uh, side note, closed. Moving on, um, <laughs> you know, that's just what I'm saying here though, is if that drug, or I won't call it a drug, but if that supplement, uh, creatine is naturally produced within the body, then how many more supplements out there or how many more drugs like a DMT are also produced by the body that we just don't know about. And maybe the issue isn't so much that taking DMT causes hallucinations, but that the addition of more DMT within the brain causes the issues because the balance is off. Right. Right. Yeah, it it's definitely as you said, it raises more questions than answers. Just digging into this stuff, but yeah. um, I think the interesting thing was is um, five percent of people overall over the entire world, as far as I, I've come to understand, uh, has the the um, same experience with the. Uh, mechanic elves or whatever uh mckenna called them um and in the other two experiences it didn't say if there was any other people percentage wise that have the same or similar experiences but uh i i, I thought it was was just fascinating when i was talking to a, my friend who has kind of delved into to kind of some of the similar stuff that we do and right. came across that. Um, but uh, we're going to take a quick break. We've got Eric's random fact of the day and a quick commercial, and we will be right back right after this. Now, Eric's random fact of the day. Have you ever pressed a flashlight against your fingers? 
and notice that they glow red, but then press it against your hand and notice no glow at all. Well, that's because your fingers have no muscles to block the light. According to MotionOrtho.com, each finger has six muscles controlling its movement, three extrinsic and three intrinsic. These muscles are located in the palm and forearms. This was Eric's Random Fact of the Day. Hey everyone, I'm Kat Ward, host of Paranormal Heart. Join me on the second and last Sunday of each month as I speak to people who share their paranormal experiences. We talk about ghosts, cryptids, aliens and UFOs, and so much more. You can follow me on Podbean, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and any place you find fine podcasts. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Paratruth Radio. As always, my name is Eric. And I'm Justin. And we have been talking about DMT and its effect on the psyche. Uh, The main question being, I think overall, is whether or not uh, what we see or what people see when on DMT is real or simply chemically induced by the drug. Uh, And of course, there's a lot of theory and speculation. Science has one idea, pseudoscience has another. Um, and I think in the end, it all comes up to the person who's having the experience uh, to, to decide for themselves whether or not what they're seeing is real or fake. Uh, do you think, Justin, that, and it could be any, you know, any drug, whatever it is, um, do you think that drugs can take the the idea of something or uh, the image of something and turn it into a reality so far beyond uh, our own understanding that it can become super real or hyper real as in for example uh, and this is more again this is actually chemically induced in a way because there was this story that I was watching uh, is this guy who had um, schizophrenia and he was mm. in a car he was driving down the road and he was is i think this is actually this was the guy of one of the daughters um with the the uh slender man uh oh kill, okay. not killing attempted murder on a little girl uh so the one girl was eventually um Uh, clinically diagnosed with schizophrenia her father has schizophrenia anyway he was telling the story during this i think was a lifetime um documentary that we i watched i think it was two years ago now you guys might remember i brought it up on on the show but um he was talking about the one time he was driving down the road and the devil was in the back seat talking to him and you could see the fear in his eyes he was legitimately scared because he said I know the devil's not back there and he was in tears. Right. And he said, I know the devil's not back there, but he's back there and he's talking to me. And that 
I think it, it gave me kind of goosebumps to think about like, there's this, and maybe there's a reality to it. Maybe the devil really was there. Who knows? But the psyche is so powerful. And this jumps back to this idea that we only use 10% of our brains to begin with. Um, whether or not that's true, I don't really know. But do you think that these drugs can make something that is fictional super hyper real to the extent that that fiction is no longer fiction, but becomes legitimate? Just in a person's mind or actually in a real? person's in a person's mind, at least. Oh, yeah. I mean, absolutely. It can create a, a reality that you. It, it can play on your fears, especially if it has to do with uh, the, the brain. Because, I mean, look at the realities that we go through when we sleep. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of times where. Uh, me personally, I'll wake up and be like, what the hell was that? Right. And it's because it's a, a reality that I don't want to see or a reality that uh, felt so real to me that I thought it was real. So, yes, 100%. I, I think that uh, any type of drug, uh, that especially ones that are hallucinogenic, can create a reality that plays off of your fears, off of your your uh, ego, and, and create a super reality where you're experiencing stuff that you normally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. But I do also believe that, like you mentioned before the break, and we were talking about uh, drug that specifically DMT, uh, but. A lot of hallucinogenics, uh, people believe that they're opening their mind to alternate realities. So you're opening that doorway, even if you don't intend to. Right. Because it's it's lowering your inhibitions, turning off the brain in the sense of uh, you're not, you're not really thinking or doing anything. You're you're just having these uh, experiences. Right. And, you know, it, and it's, it's really kind of frightening because, I mean, there's been times where I have had one of those dreams that you just mentioned. And it's like you wake up thinking it's real and even believing that it's real, knowing that it isn't. But then you're shaken up for a day or two or three afterwards. Like it just right. kind of haunts you, right? It just kind of lingers. And that's, I guess, another question. Go figure. Uh, that comes up with uh, uh, your story. So I've already forgotten his name. The guy who had the dream or had the experience and then the haunting kind of happened, followed him afterwards. Uh, that was Hancock. Or no, not Hancock. That was uh, Pinchback, Daniel Pinchback. So Daniel Pinchback, right? So um, it, it's like this. Think of it as like a... Uh, well, I'm drawing a blank. It's, you know, the type of haunting, a residual haunting. Think of it as a residual, residual. haunting, yeah. right? So residual haunting is something that is trapped in time, basically. Think of a murder, for example. This could be, we'll, we'll just make it kind of, I mean, it's horrific. I, either way, you look at it, it's a freaking murder, right? Um, <laughs> right. But uh, let's take a gunshot, for example. Uh, you know, there have been stories that on the same t- night of the same day at the, you know, at the same time every year, uh, you can hear a phantom gunshot uh, echo through the halls of a hotel because of a, of a 
supposed murder that had happened there 20 years prior. Uh, same mm-hmm. thing with a brutal stabbing, right? There's been stories of homes that'll experience the same thing, actually every night, an echo of a woman screaming um, and this just heavy negativity uh, that appears around the same time every night. Uh, so it, it's possible that these experiences that were that people have on DMT or even in our own dreams and our own nightmares are so tragic for the individual that there's kind of a timestamp within our lives, within time, that haunts us, at least for a time being, uh, that slowly fades away. Uh, so if we have, you know, a dream about somebody close to us dying um, in some way, it could be a horrific way in this case, for example, uh, you know, you might wake up shaken. You know, my sister actually did that, uh, yes, not yesterday, a couple days ago. She had texted everybody because she woke up with this sick feeling, this pit in her stomach, that something horrible happened to one of us. Um, And of course she woke up and she saw that somebody got into an accident the night prior uh, who was driving a Dodge. That's all she knew. And of course that was on the 40 bridge here in Ohio. I happen to drive a Dodge and I have to cross the 40 bridge when I'm leaving my sister's or my parents' house. So of course, jump to conclusions. Obviously you have these assumptions and yeah, fear builds, right? But she had this feeling that something happened. Obviously nothing did, I'm fine, and the rest of the family was fine. But it's these type of moments that can cause seriously a negative sensation to oneself that can affect the atmosphere around us as well as the people around us as well. And it's that time step. It's so horrific to yourself that it kind of haunts you both internally and externally uh, in the manifestation of, in some cases, spiritual hauntings. Um, And these could be ghosts that maybe are around all the time, experience your experience, or at least the feeling, the energy that you experience, Mm -hmm. and they use it to absorb it, to empower themselves until slowly as life continues on, as always, you know, that horrible experience slowly fades away to an extent, uh, at least enough where you can relax and get back to normal. Uh, and so that energy also too fades. It's like jump starting a battery and then just letting it sit idle for days on end until it finally withers away and dies again, right? Right. Well, I, I mean, I've texted you a couple weeks ago um, and a couple other close friends and relatives, you know, everything okay. Uh, because as I describe it, my spidey sense was going off and the, the, the only way I can describe this, and it's just because I've had this sensation numerous times is that I feel like I'm dizzy and about to pass out, but I don't. Um, and then it, 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 it's there and then it passes. Uh, It's nothing that I've ate. It, you know, I'm not sick, uh, could be sinuses, sure, possibly, but usually every time I've had that feeling, it coincides with something negative. So that's why I associate that with something negative, like you're saying. Right. Well, and that probably, I'm sure, comes up a lot with just your sensitivity in the mediumship. Even if you're not uh, practicing it uh, as you once were, you you still have that residual. Well, yeah, I opened um, the door. Right. You've opened the door and it's going to be there probably indefinitely um, right unless something else takes its place right well 
it's been an interesting conversation. Um, any other final thoughts? Uh, don't do drugs. <laughs> I think that's the best. I, I think we need to end with that. Don't do drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, a lot of great stuff as always coming up, folks. Uh, stay tuned to New Lantern Media with all of the shows that we have on New Lantern, which is Paratruth Radio, Beyond Reason, Paranormal Heart, Let's Talk About It, and The Truth Fox. Um, always having a lot of great stuff on all the shows. Uh, Paratruth Radio, we're trying to really do more guests again. Um, so, uh, we do have one coming up in a, a couple weeks with Ken Gearhart, um, which we haven't had him on in a long time. So it's super exciting to have him back, but until next week, folks, where you will find us same time, same channel. My name is Justin and I'm Eric. Peace. This is. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware. When your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.